We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Woo! Charlie Johnson. (laughs) That was uh, that Timberwolves Sixers game, I would say, grossly did not meet expectations until it did. (laughs) And then it very much exceeded expectations. It was entertaining in a whole different way. It was supposed to be a basketball game that would test the Wolves' new small ball style against the biggest team ever. And they failed that test through the first half of the game. And then the game became irrelevant because Carl Anthony Towns and uh, Joel Embiid got in a fight. Yep. What'd you think? That was crazy, man. I uh, I absolutely loved it. I loved the fight. I, I don't know if loved is the yeah, right word. I know what you're saying. I appreciated the the skirmish on the floor. I thought it was cool to see Carl Anthony Towns stick up for himself. And honestly, if you just watch the Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid part of that fight, like he he stood his ground. He got the better of him. I, I don't really know how you'd look at it any other way. It wasn't like a really cool fight or anything, right. but I thought it was cool to see Cat hold his ground. I got pretty disappointed when I woke up this morning and saw what happened overnight. Yeah, that was bad. I guess my my initial reaction in the moment was I, I did I, I I love to see the the fight in in Cat and we know well documented that Cat has an interesting personality archetype and you know an, an element of what leads people to question him is just his general tenacity. Which I think is that's somewhat overrated, but but also still true. And so I just I loved it. Not in the sense it's well, kind of in the sense that it's fun to watch people fight in a gross sort of way. Yeah, sure. But um, I just I just love Cat saying, "God damn it, I'm not going to take it anymore." Yeah. And I I thought of it as again, you kind of let it settle in after the night, and you wake up the next morning, and I just view it as it's it's 18 months of this all. So much has piled on Cat, and everybody has difficult things in their life. But he has—he's had a weird past eighteen months, mm-hmm. and it—it all—it all started. It all really started with that—that um, that playoff game in Houston. It's when the empty stats narrative, you know, came to be. Mm-hmm. Right? He, in his first game in the playoffs, his playoff debut—debut, debut, he shot three of nine from the field. And scored eight total points, and they lost. And it wasn't 
everyone was like, okay, you're just doing it during the regular season. And they proceeded to lose that series. And in the, the series clincher, Clint Capella outscored him, scoring the majority of his 26 points on Carl Anthony Towns. Jimmy Butler doesn't get get on the plane with the team to come back to Minneapolis. Nobody's back in Minneapolis all summer. And it's just weird. Randomly at the end of the summer, Cat signs a max extension. And we're like, where have you been? <laughs> the whole team has just kind of been, was just like quietly falling off the rails. The Jimmy Butler trade demand happens, which shines a really poor light on Cat um, because he comes back to the practice and he, you know, it was... That was private, but then made publicly known what happened and that Butler expressed animosity towards Cat and many people on that team. And then he went on national TV to tell him. I mean, he set that whole thing up to, to elevate himself and make Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and yes. to an extent, Tom Thibodeau look bad. And and it did. And it did. And it did. And, and Cat chose to turn the other cheek. I remember I was... It was it was October 10th when Butler blew up, and two days later was their final preseason game of the year, and it was in Milwaukee, and I was at that game, and it's Towns' first time to talk to the media, and he did exactly what he did last night, where he just said, I'm excited to play basketball in Milwaukee. I'm excited to play basketball. I mean, Marshawn lynched it, mm-hmm. you know? And and that was just kind of Cat's M.O. through the whole Butler thing. He, to his credit, you know, kind of took the higher ground and, and you know, rode through it all, and then... It was just a the whirlwind continued. Jimmy Butler did come back and play for them. They started the year four of nine or four wins, nine losses. They lost their last five. They decided to trade Jimmy Butler, and it was this new sort of low that then turned on a dime to be a high. Robert Covington comes in and they win eight of their next eleven games. And Cat has a buddy, and they're awesome. And then he's hurt. Yep. And the Wolves are bad again. As bad as they were the, with Butler, that 4-9, basically, that team came back. Fast forward, now his coach is fired. And now Ryan Saunders, his buddy, is hired. And then he's great. And then he's great, and he's he's had the, the second half of the year, he had the best stats of any big man in the league. Mm-hmm. They just did. Statistically speaking, he was. But he got no credit for it. Empty stats. Empty stats. Doesn't nope. get all NBA. Get Doesn't get a single first-team, second-team vote. We've talked about this. Got a handful of third-team votes. Wasn't even close. They said Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and Rudy Gobert are not just better than you. The votes would suggest that the national media believes he's way better, that those guys are way better than Cat. So that pisses them off even further. And now it's the summertime, and it's a new organization. Gerson Rosas is here. Ryan Saunders is hired. It's this cultural upheaval. And Cat seems all happy. And he was, he, he, he is, but then the cameras go on and he's mad. He's been very short with the media all year. You've seen that. I was in, I was talking uh, to Manny Hill about this earlier today when I was in Brooklyn. Um, Jackie McMullen was asking Cat questions in the scrum and Cat wanted nothing to do with Jackie McMullen questions because you know what? Information's publicly available. Jackie McMullen did not vote for him for all NBA team. So mm. there was this lingering anger in Cat towards I don't know, the, the media, the world in, in some sort of way. But then on the court, he's happy. He's with his brothers and it's it's all great. And it seemed like it seemed like whatever animus lingered was kind of trickling away. And they start 3-0. And we're like, okay, moving on. And then they're down by 20 points against Joel Embiid, who is Kat's longstanding rival, whatever. And he snaps. He loses it because it electrocuted all of the bad times of the past 18 months. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. That's human. Yeah. That's human. He's a public figure who has been, for as good as he is, has been lambasted by a lot of different people for, for being empty. And, and Embiid pokes buttons in that sort of way. I get it. And I have no problem with it. Yeah. So am I to take it that you're sort of confident that this whole series of events will help Carl Anthony Towns' perspective in the eyes of those people who have viewed him so lowly over the last few years? I think it gives him a chance to start the Carl Anthony Towns vengeance tour. Sure. After this, he's suspended for the next two games, and then he has a chance to come back. He has an offense that will allow him to be as good as he wants to be. They will, there is no ceiling for what he can do infrastructurally on this team. And he has the chance to, to change the narrative. And that's fascinating. Yeah. I don't know if it will happen because I think 
I think he's going to have to do a hell of a lot to change it. We know that we get lazy with narratives in the media, and often the thing that changes it is not just winning games, it's winning playoff series. That's going to be, particularly this season, that's going to be difficult to do, and it might, you know, it might take some some time for Cap, but that's to to have his vengeance. Like that's what I think. I think that's what the goal is: is to get into the playoffs, beat Nikola Jokic, or beat Rudy Gobert, and say, "Yeah, my team. Here we go. We're, yeah, we're moving on." And I I tend to agree with all that. That when you kind of ice that whole backstory was well said, and then when you isolated into the incident on the floor where. Towns and Embiid wrestled each other to the ground. I think that <laughs> this is funny. To, it is yeah. what happened. <laughs> two two really big guys. <laughs> really big. Um, I think that I, isolated. That was uh, a constructive thing for Carl Anthony Towns in a weird sort of way, kind of like you're laying it out. But what did you think about the how it all transpired after the fact? Both, you know, Joel Embiid being more honest or less political in, uh, in front of the mics than Carl Anthony Towns was, and then the back and forth on social media overnight. See, that's a, that's a that's Carl in a nutshell, right? Like, well, I, I kind of got the perception that somebody probably got in his ear and like somebody with the Timberwolves, like, look, you maybe oh. were the aggressor here and you shouldn't say anything more about it if you want to minimize your suspension. Do you think I'm off there? No, I think that probably happened. I think that's just no, normal PR of, of one of those situations. And he gets on in front of the camera and we all saw it and he said, oh, it's just a competitive game. He went back to that. He Marshawn Lynch did again, mm-hmm. just like he did his MO there. But it changed his behavior changed because then he got on social media yeah. and he did not just say it was just a competitive game. He basically popped that PR balloon mm-hmm. by going off in the way that he did on and beat on social media. And I have a really hard time with that part of it because I think that in general, what happened is Joel Embiid is this guy who's built up this tough guy persona and it's really like gone a long ways for him. He's, a favorite among fans of tons of different teams. He's a favorite for sure of the media because he, he gives them so much to work with. And he, you know, kind of heard the noise. Carl Anthony Towns is playing really well. He's got some MVP buzz. The Wolves are 3-0 and and he wanted to squash that. Like rightfully, I would too mm-hmm. if I was Joel Embiid. And it got into this back and forth tussle and he kind of, you know, they start pushing each other. And then more than Andre Drummond has, more than anyone has stood up to Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns did. Mm-hmm. He pushed him and he, whether he threw a haymaker, he tried to put him in a headlock or it just ended up like a hug. He didn't get like beaten that fight, whatever, call it a draw, call it whatever. He stood up to him more than anyone else has. And you could kind of see Joel Embiid get off the ground and he does his whole phony, like, you know, shadow boxing, pump up the crowd, like I'm Rocky thing. And I get that that's like a vibe in Philadelphia or whatever, like it's a tough city. But I think that 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 showed some hollowness from Joel Embiid for me. Like he, it's an act for him, and he's just trying to make sure that he's still got the tough guy persona because he wasn't totally the tough guy in that whole situation. Agreed. So when he went on social media and started talking smack, it was like just classic. Okay, of course he took this to to social media and. In that first post where he kind of just said like, oh, I I was raised with lions and got pushed by a cat, wish Jimmy Butler was here. That total paraphrase, but it was something along those lines like, part of me wishes Cat would have left it at that because to me... Just not engaged. Yeah, because to me that shows that Joel Embiid... didn't want to like just let the video of that tussle speak for itself because it it didn't make him look good and it did make Carl Anthony Towns look good. And... I part of me wishes he would have left it at that. Part of me also like has the same sentiment that we just talked about with him engaging in the fight and how that kind of shows some toughness. His clapback on Instagram was like it was good. I, I thought it was good, but part of me still wishes he wouldn't have done it just because it could have let the tape speak for himself. And then because after Carl Anthony Town said something back and said like, you know, basically mock, mocked him and called him the the B word and a clown. Joel Embiid took it way too <laughs> far. It was insane what he said on social media about, I, I know the facts about you. I mean, that's a threat. Mm-hmm. That's a threat to say, I know the facts about you. It's a fact I own you. You're a, a, a P word. <laughs> good, 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 good restraint. You can say it, but it's up to you. I, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not. Personally, I. that was nuts to me. That whole it was not totally what, what Joel Embiid got on social media and said, I honestly could not believe it. And it's 
maybe I'm soft too, but it's left a pit in my stomach kind of all day today. It, it's, it's, there are, they are two separate things, right? Yeah. The on-court tussle and the online tussle. And, and, and yeah, I, I think Kat, you know, Kat could have been bold and still been the bigger man by just letting Embiid do whatever he wants to do because he did, by engaging Embiid, by engaging the bully, the bully was able to, you know, flex yeah. and be able to say, I know the facts about you, which has a whole bunch of different... No one knows what the, what the heck that means. And, and when that happens, when we don't know what that means, and we have a little, it's the whole thing where you can only see a little bit of the picture, we paint it in to look the rest of the canvas to look way worse than it is. Or than it might be, yeah. And, and yeah, so I don't know. But I, at the same time, though... I, I, I agree with you. I think that's what I would have done. I understand the urge to respond. I do too. I, I've, it's been an internal struggle in my mind today. Like, I don't know. I can't even put myself in those shoes, but like literally millions and millions yeah. of people are seeing that. And I, it's not to say like what, what Kat said was lame or anything. He had a good, a, a good comeback as far as like yeah. social media back and forth go, but it just led to this. I just can't believe what Joel Embiid said online. For sure. That, it was absolutely reprehensible. I couldn't believe it. it and I don't, I don't know. And I, p- p- the reason it's so frustrating for me is because nobody's talked about that all day to day. I've been following the coverage of all this and I can't believe that in this league where mental health is such an important thing and being socially conscious is such an important thing. And I'm not saying like trash talking on, on social media is bad. I actually think it's great. I've, I've always really liked Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. But when you take it so far to get so personal and so... I mean, that's definitively I mean, bullying at that point. It was a threat. Yeah. It was a threat. I can't believe that hasn't been discussed today. I can't believe Joel Embiid... Both the fact that he kind of did look like a clown for getting up in shadow boxing after like what was a whatever, like an even little tussle, both of that and then to go online and and be incredibly inappropriate. I can't believe that's not being discussed. That's that's fair. So it's good for us. I mean, we have much smaller microphones yeah. than, than the people who hey, are. Gerson actually- Rosas was here last week. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, it. I, I don't have it figured out. I don't have it figured out either. Social media is its own bizarre animal in in our world today. And it is, it does bring up the mental health. And I think it was Chris, Chris Hine wrote something about it today for the Star Tribune. And it is, it's counterintuitive to that initiative to, I mean, we know that in our world, bullying and contributes I, yeah. to mental health. And, and particularly in, I mean, in children and they're adults and it's, so maybe it's a little different, but like, I want to differentiate between last year when Joel Embiid went online and said something about like Euro Euro stepping stepping through through Minnesota or whatever versus you are, I I own you. I've got dirt on you. Yeah. Like keep quiet. Mm -hmm. I mean, how else can you interpret that? Yep. No, no, you're, you're you're right. You're, you are right. I I agree with that. I I like the the former trash talk. I I do too. I hate the latter. I do too. And, and yeah, he, I mean, Embiid won that too because he was like, because Kat said, oh, it's, that's a weak comment or something. Yeah. And, and Embiid said, not as weak as your defense. Like, boom, that was it. You got him. Yeah, you got you, him. You got him there. And, that, and that's fun. That's fun. That was fun. But, but yeah, I, I, would, I would take it a step further and to say that Embiid's clap back last night shows that he feels threatened in the totally. situation. His, his tough guy shield feels poked. It was incredibly insecure. Yes, Incredibly. that's what it was. That's that's the that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, it, there there are just many different tenets of this to analyze. For me, we agree on the reprehensibility of the particular Embiid online, and I would say to Cat too, just don't do it. Yeah, just don't do it. But I do like. It, it's hard to say I hate something and like something on the other end, but I do like the fire I saw on Cat. Yeah, I, and I, and I found it. I found it to be um, authentic, mm-hmm. and we know that so much of what Cat is is manufactured. And maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't engage in this sort of way or lose his mind in the same way if it's Rui Hachimura who's yeah. trying to punk him and instead of and it's Joel Embiid. Like that's part of it, and so that goes into the calculation of wanting to. I mean, Cat himself wanting to flex, but I don't know. I mean, 
good for you. You have you have brothers, right? Totally. And yeah, that to me, that's what it was. Is that big brother? Because Embiid's dominated cat. Like mm-hmm. that's just the truth of, um, in basketball mm-hmm. forever. Which, which t- sorry to interrupt you. He should be pointing out their head to head stats, not the, like the team wins. Not like you lost by twenty. It's that's like, nope. That's a that's a that's a good point. I'm just saying. I have I have younger brothers. And I was totally, I'm sure when we were kids, a, a bully to them. But I remember the times when both of them, when they, you know, when they push back. Yeah. And and you're like, okay. Doesn't mean that I still don't think I'm bigger and stronger than you or whatever. But you're like, all right, I feel you. Yeah. And I think that's what Joel Embiid is feeling today. Maybe he's too narcissistic to admit that or to show it in any sort of way. But Kat's on his radar now. Yeah. And uh, that's how it works. Totally. That's how it works in, in little brother, big brother relationships. And the exciting part of this is March 24th, the rematch, and that these guys are 23 and 24 years old. And theoretically, if Joel Embiid's body works for the next decade, like this is something that is uh, is going to continue. And, and Kat is losing the basketball battle. And probably, I don't know, maybe the social media one too, whatever. I don't care about that. But there is there is a chance to for Kat to assert himself, the vengeance tour, to, to say, I'm here, you know? I'm here, and it's it's a it's a hell of a mountain he has to climb because Joel Embiid is an excellent, excellent basketball player. Mm-hmm. That that might be that might be impossible for Cat to ever overcome because Embiid just might be one of the best players of all time. Yeah, but game on. Yeah, you know, and I'm excited to see the game element of it. I'm excited to see those two go at it on March 24th and for the next handful of years, hopefully when Cat actually has a suitable supporting cast around him that actually matches Philadelphia because we can get into that next. What Joel Embiid has around him compared to what Cat has around him right now is unfair. Oh my God. (laughs) The second best player in the Timberwolves is Robert Covington would be the X, what, sixth best player on Philadelphia? Mm. Is I He's mean, better than Josh Richardson. So fifth, maybe. But I, yeah, I, I would even go further down that. I, I, I think Covington, and, and we can, Covington maybe hasn't been amazing this year, but good Robert Covington is is comparable to Al Horford, and I, I, sure, I think, in sure, my opinion, yeah. um, maybe better. It's 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 the everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's the I mean, let's talk about the basketball. Like the Wolves got punked in basketball. Yeah. Last night. But before we move on, I want to say one thing. And anybody who is just trying to say that cat tapped out on the bottom of that pile is just an internet troll who 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 likes to be a, a meme artist because it's so obvious that he just like was being laid on and hit the ground right. to try to get up. Yeah, so he's, I just he's just pissed. He's he's got someone on top of him and laying like, on him. Yeah. A two hundred and fifty pound person laying on you with their arm around your neck. Yeah, that was bogus. Too. It, 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 he didn't tap out. He was hitting whatever. Whatever. Anyway, sorry. No, no, you're right. It's that was just dumb. I hated seeing that because it was so obvious when you watched the video. He was just like kind of flailing. <laughs> no, you're you are right. It, it is one. It is oddly one of the. I think we try to, you know, talk more about the basketball than the off court yeah. stuff on this on this show because I just think that's more interesting. But this felt important, super you know, important. The the on court discourse felt important in this and in who these people are mm-hmm. because and because because who you are helps define who you are as a player, right? Like that is your again personality archetype def- helps define what caliber of basketball player you are. And so it is, it is important. It's hard to, it's hard to parse. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it's, we only have what we have right now. Yeah. There's, there's, there's more to come. I'm sure. And it'd be interesting to see how the two of, cause they're not going to stop getting questions about it. No. Like at all. Yeah. I wonder if it'll be the same thing. If MB will keep talking about it and cat won't. Yeah. Be well, interesting to see. I would just, that would be my assumption. Yeah. Basketball wise though, it was Philadelphia is massive. I think there's no team that uh, weakens the Wolves' strengths more than Philadelphia and applies pressure to their weaknesses more than Philadelphia. I don't know if that means the Sixers are the best team in the NBA. That's not how I feel, but you know, sometimes it's a it's a type of attack that um, that can hurt you. And yeah. they did. And they were they had no they had nothing for. The, the size that Philadelphia was. They did not adjust to playing um, bigger. And we, 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 we saw it show up not only 
I mean, the Sixers went right to the block mm-hmm. over and over. I mean, not even just straight post-ups. I mean, Ben Simmons, I thought it was, it showed up most with Ben Simmons. He was just like, okay, I'm just going to dribble, like not attack the rim. I'm going to like slowly, methodically, physically move my way down to the rim and I'm just going to score over you. Yeah. Like, it, we saw that time and again. Thought it showed up with Tobias Harris too. Yep. The, the, the few chances that he really got to back someone down, he just walked him right to the hoop and put the ball in. And then, I mean, in, if we just want to talk about it numerically, the rebounding is the... Mm-hmm. Is, the, is the biggest way that it, it, it sticks out. I mean, the Wolves had 13 total first half rebounds. I, yeah. To Philly's 32. You, you can't. I don't know how you can win if that's if that's a stat. I mean, you can't. Yeah. You, you, you can't. The, I mean, <laughs> they had one offensive. The Wolves had one offensive rebound in the first half. And I think the first half is what we need to focus on in the game because it, the second half is basically um, yeah. a, a, a wash there. But that, to me... That is so illustrative of the notion that the Wolves do not have the size to match up with this team. They, the size that they were playing with does not match up with this, this team. And I'm the, the way I'm thinking about it is how would you, if the Wolves had to play Philadelphia again today, how would you, how would you handle that differently if you're Ryan Saunders? Because if you run out the same plan, the same, at least the same matchups, you're not, you're not going to win like that. They did not, that did not work. Teague, Teague on Richardson, Wiggins no. on Harris, and you Graham up, on Simmons. No way. It, it's not going to work. And then anytime the defense had to scramble, you'd end up with Teague on Tobias Harris and Lehman on and Al Horford, and, and it just didn't work. And I think that if you do, I understand on some level Ryan wanting to kind of like really wholeheartedly embrace this mantra and say, what the heck, we're not... I'm, we're not going to win if we, if we, it's not going to help that much if we start gorgaging. I could, I, I can understand if Ryan felt that way or Noah Vonley as well. Like yeah. we're still probably going to lose this game. Let's really embrace this identity and we're going to have to try to win through the turnover battle and by making a ton of three pointers. And I can understand that, but I just think on some level, you probably need to realize that this is our long, this is the Timberwolves' long term blueprint is to maybe yeah. have this small ball, but. In the meantime, you might have to realize that you don't have the roster to pull it off. You don't have the shooters. You don't quite have the defensive firepower. Mm-mm. You don't have the size. Like, it, So it, do you think they wouldn't adjust if they played again today? My guess is they would do adjustments. Like, I think what you needed to do was get Robert Covington and Ben Simmons to start the game because Ben Simmons just controlled the flow from the tip. So I think that Ryan Saunders might be inclined to do something like that. I would have a hard time betting that he would start Noah Vonley or not start Jeff Teague. I, I think one of the two paths you have to take is the, the, the Covington on Simmons. Yeah, I thought that was it was it was obvious from two minutes into the game. Obvious. And and you know what? And we've had we can go back to the other three games too. If Kyrie Irving makes that 15 footer on Josh Kogi, you know what the story of that Brooklyn game is? Why did we leave Jeff Teague on Kyrie Irving that whole game? Why did Robert Covington never move over to guard him? He was had 50 points. Mm-hmm. Like why why did that why did that never happen? And it's this it's the same question here in this game is yes, you're weighing the opportunity cost of pulling your power forward out of the block area to rebound where you do need the rebounding. They clearly need the rebounding. And that's what Ryan Saunders said afterwards, why he didn't do it. Yep. But at some point, we need to consider, are we just going to let Kemba Walker, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, whoever, those guys just eat? Mm-hmm. Are they, we're just going to let them eat because you're running a drop scheme, which just allows that just allows them to pull up yeah, totally. from everywhere like that. You, you need to make some sort of adjustment. So I think you had to put Robert Covington on Simmons or you have to start two bigs. And for me, if, if, if the goal is winning a basketball game tomorrow, Against Philadelphia, I'm starting two traditional bigs. Okay, but I th- but that's I think a different question than what do you think Ryan Saunders would do again? And and I don't think that they're you know 100 percent their goal is to win every basketball game this year. I'm I'm just not sure that that's the case. And what but I no, would it's, I'm, it's not there's a difference between every basketball game and let's acknowledge the fact that the Sixers team is bigger than anyone ever. Like yeah. I respect the identity, committing to the identity, and wanting to play your style of play. I respect that. But you are setting yourself up to lose against Philadelphia 
a game that you really needed to show some some competitiveness in. I just think Ryan Saunders could have had it both ways a little bit more than he did. I think he could, you know, be comfortable with the fact that they stuck to their mantra while still changing defensive assignments, letting Robert Covington defend Ben Simmons. And also like once you're really getting killed, try point Wiggins. You know, he doesn't have to start at, at, yep. at the point guard, but once things are going poorly, try a stint of it. Just do three minutes of it or whatever. I just did. I thought he could have towed the line more and had it both ways to make this a more competitive matchup while also still holding his, you know, cap to the fact that he's doing it his way. I think so too. I think that is the, the marginal step that they would take. Um, I don't, I understand wanting to have him on Horford because Horford's a, is, will probably punish you on the boards, but not as much as Ben Simmons yeah. did. I mean, it's you Mm-mm. pick your poison, right? Totally. I just, I don't know. I, I do want to say, I want to explain why I would start two bigs. Yeah. Because you're right, they're, they're, different, they're different questions, and this is me fantasy coaching sitting here, but the logic I see in it, it goes, it goes back to what shut down Ben Simmons in the playoffs against Boston two years ago, is they put Al, Al Horford, ironically, on him. Mm-hmm. They put Al Horford on Ben Simmons, and, they, and he just stood at the nail, and Aaron Baines was the backup, too. And if you remember watching that series, Aaron Baines, particularly Aaron Baines, was so deliberate about it. He would sprint back to the nail, which is in the middle of free throw line, if you don't know what that is, and he would turn, and he would stick his arms out wide every single time, and it was literally building a freaking wall mm-hmm. for Ben Simmons to run into because he doesn't have the jump shot to just pull up and shoot that. They would have welcomed that. And I would do that with Noah Vonley as the guy, the Aaron Baines, the Al Horford right there, and be, be in his way. In, in that capacity, and then you, of course you leave you leave Cat on Embiid, um, and you could you could still put Covington on Horford then. Yep. In in that situation, so you're not the the rebounding battle for sure gets better with this path. And I think Teagon Richardson. I don't actually think that's that bad. Teams do that all the time. Of course, Richardson's bigger than Teague. Teague's going to be a problem defensively no matter what. But you do kind of need a point guard. Mm-hmm. Like Richardson's just going to punish you from three. And if we're, you know. I'll, I'll, if we're picking poisons, I'll I'll take Richardson, the Richardson Teague matchup, or even Wiggins on Harris. At mm-hmm. least Wiggins, Wiggins is taller and longer than Harris. Like Harris might beat him up a little bit, but again, if I'm picking poisons, I'm putting out a roster and a defensive plan that says Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson are the are the obvious matchups here, right? Like, and people might say, oh, oh well, he'll Ben Simmons will blow by Noah Vonley. Yes, if Noah Vonley was out on the perimeter, but I'm not not out on the perimeter. And look, at we, we watched that in the Boston series. Yeah. Build the wall. And it, it probably still won't work because they're just good. Yeah. Because Ben Simmons is awesome, as, oh, as is Joel Embiid and all that. But in that series, with, with Simmons on the floor, they were outscored by 17 points per, per 100 possessions. Wow. He was not helpful to them. Is Noah Vonley Al Horford? No. But that, if you're trying to win the game, I believe... Because it gives you more rebounding and because it gives you a better chance to defend Ben Simmons, that, that is the way to do it. How, how much that lineup does start to make me nervous, on, quite nervous on the offensive end, especially against a, a defensive unit as good as Phillies. The Wolves had such a hard time getting down low last night. And if you have Noah Vonley on the floor, there is just going to be even less space on the offensive end. Put him on end. the perimeter. Why but no, nobody's going to guard him. The, the Philadelphia would have not cared one bit if Noah Vonley was out on the perimeter. Okay, they didn't care one bit about Trevion Graham being on the perimeter. Well, yeah, but then you have two Trevion Grahams. No, we're not starting Trevion Graham. Oh, sure. We're All going Cat, right. Vonley, Covington, Wiggins, Steve. Yep. Okay. That, I mean, and and I Noah Vonley might just be a better shooter than Trevion Graham, Trevion Graham is in just open catch and shoot situations. I mean, what happened last night? They did start Trevor on Graham. That's what happened. And Horford was on Graham, right? And he just didn't even look at him. Didn't even look at him. And particularly when Graham was on Cat's side. And what was different is, you know, Cat's got him beat on him. That's his one-on-one matchup. And then Horford's doubling from the top side, mm-hmm. right? And what, what have we been seeing more often is from the, the, the double comes from the baseline. Yep. Right? And then so what Cat's actually gotten good at is, okay, the that's a long way for the double to come from on the baseline. So what does Cat do? He squares up, skip pass. He's gotten very good at that. When the double's coming from the top side, and it's Al Horford, who's big and long, and Embiid's also big and long, your only kickout option, really, is back out to the wing, which is Trevion Graham. Yep. That 
isn't, that isn't going to be money there, yeah. you know, and it's not going to be way better with, with Noah Vonley might be worse, but I think then, uh, then your offensive adjustment is that I'm not, I'm not having, I'm not having Trevion Graham beyond Cat's side mm-hmm. in post-up situations. That's a whole nother aside is probably posted up a little bit too much. I think Ryan Saunders and Cat basically did say that post game is we went to that yeah. too much. He kept saying we got, we got out of our offensive system. We had to trust our system and their offensive system. What, what we've gathered so far, right? Offensive system, option A, five out mm-hmm. with, with Cat up at the top of the key. And then situationally, walking Cat walking into the post if he has a mismatch to post up. They're starting getting beat up. They're down 15, 17, and Cat goes, all right, I'm going down to the block. I'll get us a bucket. I'll get us a bucket. And so he deviated from the yeah. system by doing that. And then it become, it, it's just so much harder against this Philadelphia 76ers team to make those skip passes and to make those passes out of doubles because they're just so long and so tough and so aggressive. I mean, when you like the, the, the play that literally started that fight was yep. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons double teaming towns from the top it, side, yep. from the top side in the post and then him turning it over. Yep. Because those are probably the two most difficult players in the league to get out of a double team against. So, so there's that. There's the top side double. But also, if you just w- watched them match up, like the Sixers were just doing a shell drill of like, they were basically inside like the high school three point line. Right? Yeah, yeah. This was, there, there were times in this game where I just thought, man, maybe your best bet is just try to shoot 75 threes. Yeah. See if you get hot. Because they were not even out on the perimeter. It was literally a shell drill yeah. of, okay, we're caring about Cat on the inside. And then everyone, everyone else was is open on the perimeter. They had plenty of space out, out there to work with. And that is eventually, that's going to become the blueprint mm-hmm. that teams are going to use in, against the Wolves when what they start going to. If the bread and butter of that game is cap post-ups, teams are just going to do that. Mm-hmm. They're going to pack it in and they're going to say, okay, kick it out to Trevion Graham. Love it. You know, so that's, that's why the concern about the three-point shooting. The, oh, yeah. The, I mean, this the, team is real. It's going to be the, the whole season because if you want, want to go this small, the, your whole bet is that you can make those three-pointers and, and kind of get your advantage there. Do you, and they can't. Yes. And that's, again, that goes back to the personnel that surrounds Cat. Yeah. They're just, they're just limited in, in, that, in that capacity. And what we know is this is a blueprint. These are not the pawns that will be on the chessboard on the next good Wolves team, great mm-hmm. Wolves team. Um, I think they can be decent. You know, this year we've seen them be decent. We've seen it work when they're just five out because you can't double cat when he's at the top of the key. Somebody will just yeah. cut to the basket, be wide open. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, they, they just can't deviate from that as much, but they're going to need to be patient. They're going to really need to believe in it. And there's going to be a lot of 40 plus three point games. Yeah. Because you're either... <laughs> You're either playing five out, which is all on the perimeter, looking for shooters, or you're in the post getting doubled and looking for shooters. It's just yeah. the, that this system begs for threes. Mm-hmm. And if the defense is doubling down on that begging, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just going to be, it's going to be a lot of those. And I think that's just. Well, it will be interesting to see how they try to um, rectify that fact throughout the course of the season because there could be transactions, trades to be made moving forward. They could call up some players from the G League team. They could get to a point where they would say, we need three-point shooters so bad that we don't care if they can do anything else. It, it, I mean, there could if, if things really start to get sloppy on the offensive end, that, that will probably be the argument. Well, and... I don't remember if this was on the podcast or afterwards when we were, you and I were talking to Charks and he was like, you know, if it was Houston, if it was Houston last year, they would, they would, they called up Daniel house two way mm-hmm. player. And they just said, you're one of our better perimeter shooting options. Even if you're not great at other things, he's like, if it was, if this was Houston, they would try Keelan Martin. Yeah. Actually in the rotation, they would try Jalen Noel purely because they're shooters. Well, that's why I think that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Ryan Saunders, even though... But there's been such a rigidity so far. I know, but even though there has been a total rigidity, especially in-game, he has shown a willingness both last year, throughout the preseason this year, and into this year to like mix up lineups, give guys a shot. I mean, Lou Aldang is the prime example of that, of being... Yeah, but Gerson Rosas wasn't here then. I, I, wonder, sure. I wonder how much the rigidity in, is... My guess is the rigidity is informed by the alignment between the basketball operations and the coaching staff of wanting... Just do this. 
I don't, I don't know that to be true. Yeah. But it kind of, it kind of feels like that to me. It also is four games. And I know NBA mm-hmm. head coaches have a lot more, um, patience in saying, I'm going to wait till this point till sure. I make observations, till I make changes, till I make decisions mm-hmm. about what we're going to do moving forward. So there could be some of that, but that's, it is an interesting point because there was a lot more, um, Ryan Saunders was willing to be more agile before these last four games. So I don't know if it's a sample size thing or if it's a, an alignment. Thing, I, like I was reading uh, Seth part now in the athletic and, and he, wrote something, what we've learned about these teams for the first week in the league. And he kind of disclaims the whole beginning of it of, you know, because st- Partnow has, was in the, the Bucks, the Bucks uh, front office, like director of analytics, whatever. And he said their rule was always to wait 15 or 20 games yep. to identify statistical trends with players. But he goes, but what he said was you fought well before that with teams, you can see how they want to play. You don't need 15 to 20 games for that. They, they, they show their hand of what their style is before that. And I think if we apply that to the Wolves, like we don't, we don't know that Shabazz Napier, for example, is going to be a bad shooter because he hasn't made a lot of threes so far. What we do, I think, know is the way they want to play, the way they want to use Shabazz Napier, the way they want to run their offense, the way they want to run their defense. Like I would be surprised if we see a lot of change Along those lines. Yeah. There could be some like, well, you know, Trevion Graham, Jake Lehman, like whoever who isn't making three pointers, they can do everything else a lot better. Or I think based on what I know, they can do everything else a lot better than a guy like Keelan Martin. So I am willing to wait 20 games to see if Trevion Graham can get to 32% from three before I make that call. Mm -hmm. I could see there being some of that, but I could also... you you Deem his future expected value yeah. from three yeah. is that. Yeah. But I I mean, alignment has been the word used most often by both the coaching staff and the front office. So I think that's it's worth considering well, why things seem to be rigid. As right. You put and, it. and who knows? I mean, it is it, four it's games. Easy, it's easy to point. It's easy to point at after a game goes really poorly, like it did in Philly, to question the rigidity. But I was on Monday, you know, doing this, pointing out all the things that were working yeah. about the style of play that they, you know, were running on offense and on defense. And so this might sound a little reactionary by us, but it's just, it is, I think it is worth speculating on. I'm not even saying it's bad what they're doing. I just wonder if it's bad to not adjust. Yeah. And there may be something to the notion that, if you're not going to adjust against this Philadelphia 76ers team, you're probably not going to adjust against anyone. And unless it is just simply the fact that it's the fourth game of the year and they don't want to adjust this quickly, it doesn't seem like they will. Yeah. Too, too much. Because what about, how would you not do it against that team? Yeah. What about in-game? Are you seeing in-game adjustments by Saunders? No. I mean, I, I would say it's a similar trend. It's very few. You don't, I mean... And what we have seen as far as in-game adjustments have gone, you like you do here, it just hasn't been super obvious. It's like, okay, you 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 left Jake Lehman in to finish off the heat. Like that's good, but that's not like a, a schematic. Or went change. to Josh Kogi for an energy boost. Yeah. So, like he subbed in and played more than he did in a previous game. But yeah, it's been pretty nominal, right? Yeah, it totally and, and sure, certainly not schematical, if that's a word. No. Um no, not at all. And and I thought the Miami game with Eric Spolster coaching on the other end kind of showcased that other teams do find advantages by making in-game adjustments. And what we saw in the first quarter of that game is they started two bigs. They started Leonard and Bam. And the Wolves were eating on that with Leonard needing to guard Cat, right? Because mm-hmm. he's not getting all the way out on the perimeter and Cat's going to be able to take advantage of Leonard on the inside. The adjustment, you know, that just rotational adjustment that Spolster made was switched it. So they just played one big the rest of the game. And it, I mean, the majority of the rest of the game and bam was the one on cat mm-hmm. who can handle cat on the inside a lot better and put more pressure to him on the perimeter. That, that was, I would, a coaching move that, you know, increased their win probability and, you know, it made them go on a run. They took the lead. And then also we saw, I mean, I, I watched two of Miami's games prior to the, the Wolves game and they were just running high ball screen, high ball screen. Mm-hmm. High, I mean, it was like 
ridiculous. They would just take it, two guards coming from the top, one big, a big setting screen, one of them's going pick and roll, and they're just looking for the lob to bam. But the Wolves are out running that deep drop. Mm-hmm. That, that lob isn't going to be there to bam, bam. It's going to then probably just be catching for like a pop at 15. You don't want that. So Spolster adjusts, and they're, set, they're, they're setting all their ball screens on the side, side actions of the floor, yep. and they're forcing the Wolves to chase them yep. and move. Mm-hmm. And again, Miami you know, extended the lead by doing that. And they, the Heat win that game without Jimmy Butler if Andrew Wiggins doesn't go nuclear. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know, this isn't an indictment of Ryan Saunders. It's a, a pat on the back to Spolster that if Wiggins doesn't go nuclear, Spolster wins that game for them. Yeah. By having his team adjust. And I don't know, maybe there's just more of a culture set there, more of a, this is what we do. There's, yeah, it's just Spolster, you know? Yeah. But we haven't seen that sort of stuff from Saunders yet. And I'm, I'm curious to see if we will because... The offense is inherently just so much more free flowing here. Yeah, it's pretty I, basic. It, to, it totally is. The, the, there are like tenants to both their offense and their defense. It's the deep drop against the pick and roll. We'd rather not switch, but we're willing to switch off ball, especially our three wing group. And on the offensive end, like you said, it's the give it to Cat at the top of the key, run a bunch of dribble hands off, handoffs, get a mismatch, drop him into the post if you can. And I kind of do understand that. Was that was a good synopsis. Thank you. <laughs> I kind of do understand that uh, this team has had such a reset both on the floor and off of the floor. And just like erase this Philadelphia game from memory, both of those two things, the offense and the defense on those principles, have been yes. very successful. Agreed. So I, w- I, w- I think that it would have been maybe encouraging to see Ryan Saunders try something against the Sixers because it would show that he's you know still willing to be agile, like we were saying. I wonder if he would have in the second half. I wonder. I don't think so, but I wonder. I'd I mean, say the, no. the evidence says no. But I also get that like those things have worked probably better than anticipated on both ends of the floor through the Absolutely. first three games. So like let's keep doing that during the fourth game because we're I mean, they're still learning it. Like it's it's a new thing and they're still gonna have to iron it out. So I do kind of wanna hit the brakes a little bit based okay. on the fact that it's been it's been really good. I would say offensively the one thing I I, I like this as a the the core of what you're doing, like the, the foundation, right? The thing I think they need to add to it, to the five out and to the cat post up is the pick and roll game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, yesterday, not, not being at the Sixers game. I, I was just, I was, it was kind of my first day to just kind of binge watch other NBA games. And I was watching before the Wolves played and I was watching afterwards and I'm like, oh my God, there is so much more pick and roll happening in this game. Both teams. Yeah. Didn't matter who I turned. I mean, it's particularly true when I was watching the Portland uh, OKC game because you got Dame and CP on, on those two sides. But it is, I mean, it, it, I looked it up and the Wolves are 20th in pick and roll frequency right now. And I think that's kind of bolstered by what they did with Wiggins in both the Brooklyn and Miami game. So just in, in raw numbers, they're running just below a league average volume of pick and rolls, but it's not, it doesn't feel like part of the identity yeah. at all. I also think that that number is inflated based on the fact that pick and rolls and other teams just like generally work better. Like the Timberwolves, <laughs> when Jeff Teague and Carl Anthony Towns run a pick and roll, they can never create the space between the two defenders to, to, to connect on a pass. And Shabazz Napier, you know, there was maybe some, some more flashes in the preseason of a connection between Napier and Towns in the pick and roll. But it, it it hasn't totally manifested during the season, so I think that that ought to be a, a huge priority for the Timberwolves as they do seek the next great ball handler of this team. That they need to be a, a really sound pick and roll player because you have Car Anthony Towns, and he's shown, you know, he can probably work on his positioning as well when, after mm-hmm. he sets the pick, especially when he's rolling. But he's had success with it in the past with different ball handlers. Right. And I, I think that's the problem is there's just not a lot of guys who can initiate it on this team. No. Like, I mean. Tegan and Kat have just, it, it's never been that great between them. Well, think about if you're defending that, right? If you're defending and the Wolves are just like, all right, we're coming out, we're running a ton of Teague cat pick and roll tonight. Like, you're going to let Teague try and get to the rim. Yeah. He's six feet tall. I mean, he's like decent at it, but also has a tendency to, oh, I don't have a, I don't have a full like line to the rim, then he's going to kind of meander in yeah, mid range yep. there and, and kind of drag out the position. That's what he does. Like if I, I, I would, 
I would have my big say secure to cat on there to defend the pop or the roll and, and let, and let Teague try and beat you. Napier, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, he's like 5'11". Like these are, they aren't threats to get all the way to the bucket to finish, which leaves you with basically just Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Which hasn't necessarily been a bad thing. I mean, he's done a, when he puts his head down, he has got downhill. I mean, it was great in the Brooklyn game and the Miami game. But he's never going to pass it. Well, he hasn't so far. Yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, he's never going to pass. Well, it. that's what I'm saying. If we are going to add it, if you are going to add it, if we agree that we need a third bullet in the chamber outside of the five-out space, the cat post up, you got to make that better. And Andrew, and you need to. I, and I do think the plan is to add to it. Their focus is Andrew, get downhill, don't pull up for a mid-range shot right now. Yeah. But if that's going to end up being good, like in a bigger way, it's going to be that Andrew has hit cat on pops. Cause we've seen him do that before. Yes. I, I, I mean, it, he, I looked it up <laughs> like there, he, he can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he just has to, that's, that's my biggest point. I, I, I would assume that comes, but there is such an impetus on Wiggins to do that because a dynamic pick and roll ball handler is someone who can both get to the rim. Probably first and foremost can get, get a shot up, mm-hmm. a good shot up. And second can find, can find a way to distribute from there. Wiggins has three assists this year. And, and like one, actually, if you yeah, go, if watch, you go them. watch them. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, it's a process. And it's I think it's worth mentioning that the three-point shooting that we've been talking about hurts them on the pick and roll as well. But I just, when you talk about this, I have this clip running through my mind where Cat steps up to set a high ball screen on Teague's man, or not even that high of a ball screen. <laughs> and Teague dribbles around it and then kind of like prods into the paint. And then what ends up happening is they, they, they just kind of try to use it to get a post up. And Cat will try to fight for position with this guy while Teague tries to look for him. And if, if Cat can't get great position right away, then it's Teague just, is just kind of like sitting there. And it's then such you, a foreign thing. And then there's a floater. Again, I was saying, you watch other teams, even other teams who have good bigs. Yeah. Like when they try and involve the big in the pick and roll, that's not how they do it. No. It's not. No. I mean, it's it's traditionally the lob or it's the pop or it's like the catch power dribble finish. Yeah. Like you're right. Teague goes through it and then they're looking for a like a post up. Yeah. It's bizarre. And it's hard to it's hard for Cat to like get position there because he was rolling and like the defender might be already in front of him. And it's, it's not like, natural. No, it's, it's not natural. It, at all. It's certainly not natural. The the one thing, you know, we say Teague, Napier, Wiggins are the guys who do it. The other one's Jarrett Culver. And, and Culver's been bad, mm-hmm. which like I said on Monday, I'm not freaking out about that the, more than anyone. Let's put the, the four games caveat on that, but you haven't let him try. No, no. I mean, I would have to go, but I, I don't, I don't think Jared Culver's received a single high. He sits in the corner. I mean, that would be a way to get him going too. Yeah. I would have to think certainly, I mean, that's at least that's what it said at Texas Tech. And that's what it said during the preseason was when the ball's in his hand and he's initiating offense, he's more comfortable. Try it. Yeah. I'd like to see that, you know, happen. And I kind of understand why it hasn't because he clearly doesn't look comfortable and he hasn't had it, but you haven't, you haven't given him the chance to initiate the action. And that doesn't mean he has to be the point guard. doesn't mean that Tegan Napier have to be on the bench. Like just like Wiggins. Yeah. Wiggins is initiating pick and rolls. Yeah. But yeah. With, next to Teague, like you Play can do over with Napier next to Napier. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's just something I would, I would like to see. Th- that's how do you increase your pick and roll volume? If you agree with me that you have to increase your pick and roll volume, then we're running out of options. Yeah. And it should be Jared Culver who has shown he has that in his bag. Again, give it, give it three minutes, give it four reps. I just, it's that, just one, that it. one's bizarre to me that we haven't, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Jerk Culver with the ball in his hands unless he grabs a rebound or is running in transition hardly at all. I think there's reason pivoting here for optimism in the Western Conference. Yeah. I tweeted this out last night. I was watching, you know, I watched when Steph got hurt last night. Which do you watch that game at all? Phoenix? Yeah. Oh my god. Crazy. Aaron Baines looked like Wilt. Yeah. Except with a three point shot, which is weird. I'm I'd like I saw, <laughs> Aaron Baines has always been underrated, first of all. For sure, but not as a, no, <laughs> not as like he was like the number one option. It was because Golden State had nobody. That's a whole separate tangent. That he that that Aaron Baines could absolutely eat in that game shows you how bad Golden State has been. And I feel really stupid for calling Golden State a lock 
to, to make the playoffs, but that's a whole separate thing. It's my, my point is that the West isn't through a week has not been what we thought it was. No, nope. and, and it's certainly, it's certainly good, but I think we set up way, way too high of a bar for what the West was. And if you go through, I mean, it's only been a week. So like keep the hierarchy generally the same as it was. The Wolves are 12th, according to Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. They had, they had Sacramento, New Orleans, and Dallas as the three non-playoff teams ahead of them. And then it was the eight playoff teams. Yep. I feel pretty safe in saying we can remove Golden State from that now with Steph out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Steph out. Steph, I mean. How long? They haven't announced how long he's out. I mean, if it's a broken hand. I mean, I'm assuming it's a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a couple months. Assuming a couple months. Yeah. Let's remove Golden State from that. So that opens up a spot for one of Dallas, New Orleans, Sacramento, Minnesota. Right? Yep. That spot, Dallas has earned it. As of right now, in the moment, we put Dallas in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then the way I see it is New Orleans is 0-4 and Sacramento's 0-5. And if you've watched them, they both look terrible, mm-hmm. which is particularly New Orleans has been shocking to me. I was never big on Sacramento. But I don't know how you don't, particularly because there's still between five and seven weeks left until Zion's back. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you don't leapfrog the Wolves above both of those teams. Yeah, I, I think there's some... Small am I being too... Am I, is this too optimistic? Do you disagree with it's that? A li- it's a little too optimistic for me because it's such a small sample size. It's four games. I mean, the Kings have looked really bad. So, but you, like, so you would say that you would right now pick the Kings to win more games than the Wolves this season? No, I picked the Wolves to win more games than the Kings, but I might I might still pick the Pelicans yeah, to that's win more f- games. Yeah, that one's more fair. Yeah, no, I picked the Wolves to win more games than the Kings. I, I th- I'm like on board with you. I just maybe... I'm a, painting a... a, a positive picture, yeah. but I don't think it's no, I'm unrealistic. You. I only have one foot on board just because it's a, it's such a small sample sure. size. The Pelicans, that Pelicans team without Zion should be better than it is. They totally. rattle off I agree. Three, I agree. three wins here and you kind of forget about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm half on board with you. They, they look a lot better than I expected them to. And I just think that if you were in this bubble right now of this fight that just happened and it's like emotional. And if you just, if I try to step outside of it, I can look at this first eight, nine days of Timberwolves basketball of the 2019-20 season and say, they are three and one and Carl Anthony Towns stood his fucking ground against Joel Embiid. Like, that's a good start. So you'll say fucking, but you won't say pussy and bitch? Yes, c- correct. <laughs> okay, yes. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. <laughs> um, Maybe I'm just getting more comfortable. Uh, I do, okay. So, so power ranking out the West. If we're just doing power ranking out the West and we put Dallas into the top eight, then the Wolves are nine, they're nine or they're 10 if you put New Orleans above them. Yeah. That, that's pretty, I mean, actually right now, OKC looks pretty good. Yeah, they do. And as, as does Phoenix, so. I would still pick OKC to win more games than the Wolves, not Phoenix. See, I just think you gotta, I'm not saying for sure trades, you, got, you gotta bake in expected loss of wins because of the logic of making moves that yeah. that, that team has. So. Right, better team. If the Wolves played a seven-game series against OKC right now, they'd lose it. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd take OKC. But again, if we're projecting win totals for the next seventy-eight games, which sounds like a ton, <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's the Wolves' odds in my mind of making the playoffs today are way higher than what they were given entering the season. Like magnitudes higher. I agree with that for sure. Not 50-50, not, not that. No. But I mean, what it, we were like, what we were saying, like 4%, yeah. 5% yeah. going in. I mean, you can't, given that Golden State's out of the equation, and this is assuming health, assuming health for the Wolves, but if, if we do expect chaos elsewhere, like Steph Curry, that might not be the only injury. There might be other things yeah. you know, that that happen, and that could just as well as happen to the Wolves. But if we if we give them the gift of, health and continued progression growth within this system mm-hmm. they're in the conversation i agree with you and i would even take it a little bit of a different direction and say the reason i feel like they have a, a meaningfully better chance of at least being playoff competitive this season than i did a week ago is not even because of other teams i mean yeah, it's partially right, because right, of other right, teams right. doing so poorly but it's because the wolves have been good it's be- and it's because of the defense yeah i can, yes. i think that that just cannot be stressed enough that that defense looks really solid and it's 
surprising and encouraging and Kat looks good and Noah Vonley looks solid. Trevion Graham. And Trevion Graham is good. I mean, we can rip on Trevion Graham not being able to shoot and being a weird kind of like pickup player who just bowls to the rim for like, that's how he gets buckets. Yeah. But watch Trevion Graham off. I mean, you showed me that one clip yep. and I used it in my article. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trevion Graham, defensive basketball IQ, it's up there. Noah Vonley has been really good defensively and the system has been good. You're right. That's, yeah. that's the reason. And Cat. Cat looks comfortable. He looks like his timing is good. He looks like he knows where people are supposed to be and, and, and when he can be aggressive and when he can't be. And it's, that's what's so encouraging to me. Absolutely. Um, Washington on Saturday without Cat. Um, Teague. I, th- I think Teague just has to take control of the offense. Oh, that's a, I didn't really think about that. Yeah. I just, like he did that when... Uh, yeah, he's done that before. When Jimmy was down. Yeah. He, 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 he kept them like 10 and 11. It was like Teague and Belly. Yeah. And, and I mean, aggressive Jeff Teague, Burt Robson always, what does he always say? Yeah, like aggressive Jeff aggressive Teague. Aggressive Jeff Teague. Yeah. I, I, Atonement I, Jeff I Teague. think we're going to get that. Ah, interesting. I hadn't really, hadn't let my mind go there yet. And at 10th player into the rotation for sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. You're going to have point. to play at least one more big. If the second half of Philadelphia is any indication, it's Jordan Bell. Yeah, love to see Gorgie just. I just chance. again, I would like to try go try different things. Yeah, part of it's probably that I have. I don't think either of us have ever been big Jordan Bell people. Yeah, which I, I'm I'm open minded. I'm open minded to it being better, but I do think the the hype or the just. I mean, I just get questions and stuff on Twitter and and that. I mean. I've gotten that question more than anybody else. Why isn't Jordan Bell playing? Mm-hmm. That's the number one question I've got. And he has the, I think it comes from the championship pedigree. He looks like a really good athlete mm-hmm. that, but there is a very, he does have a limited skill set, but you know, maybe in a new system, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to polish yeah. the turd. Like there's, there's <laughs> more that, uh, you know, could, could be there. He's and, super young. He's super young. Yeah. And I, I, I want, I want to see, that go well. I want to see him play and I want to see Gorgie play because I want to see how they fit in this system. Because again, as I've been saying all year and we're certainly saying about the Philadelphia game, I think you need to play more than two pigs this season. Yeah. It, if it, you want to win basketball games. It seems like if it. If you want to win basketball games. I understand the commitment to the scheme, but I just think you're gonna you're gonna have to do that at some point. And what we will see, I'd assume Jordan Bell Vonley starts and then yeah. that'll be interesting to see more of him too. Like yeah. In a starting role. Because he's been playing weird, like, three, four-minute stints, just... I wonder if they're going to try to do any of the same, you know, facilitate, like Kat does at the top of the key with Noah Vonley, if they'll just try to kind of put him in a spot I a mean, bit. that part of it isn't that hard. No. It's literally dribble handoffs. Yeah. And, and that, like, the more difficult part, which, and he won't get to, I mean, is, is when Kat is on the... When he's on the block and he's needing to find skip passes and passing out of that, or once you start moving north and south to to distribute... Um, I think they give, I do think they give Vonley the cat role, but mute it a ton. Yeah. They're turning the volume down, not mute it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's what you have to do. And I have been really pleasantly surprised with what I've seen from Vonley. I, I actually got to talk to him at practice yesterday and, or two days ago before the Philly game. And, and he, I was like, Man, I it really seems like you're embracing this role. Yeah. And, and he's like, it's just this, it's, this is a starting point. They want me to do this. Cool. At the starting point here. And, and I was like, well, Oh, that's how he framed it. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm going to write, I'm going to be writing something on him um, from what we talked about. And he was just like, it's this now. And I was like, well, that's not what it was like in New York. And he's like, well, they, it was New York. Yeah. <laughs> and, then they, and they just asked me to do more. He goes, I can, you know, can get to that. But he had given kind of what the role is. He, he basically kept saying to me, it's early. He's like, he's, he said, it's been three games, like four times in the interview. And I was like, okay. He sure seems like a level-headed dude. Like, like I said, really has exceeded my expectations of yeah. professionalism. And I mean, that's what you need. that's what good teams need is guys who buy into roles. Totally buy into. Buy and into that roles. is what this this Wolves team, despite their lack of talent, has going for them. They do have quite a few guys who have bought into roles. Well, yeah, that and that and that that part I think goes to Saunders' credit a lot. Absolutely, that's that's something he really he said. I've had individual conversations with every single player in that team. And that's made a difference. I think that's fair to say that's made a difference. Agreed. All right. Well, I will be back um, on. Who's the guest this time? Like the president (laughs) of the, of the world. world. (laughs) I still can't believe you got Gerson Rosas on here. He isn't. I mean, I I hope people could, 
hearing that he's an interesting guy. Um, I, I've had the chance to talk to him a lot. He's just around all the time and, uh, he's, he's smart, man. And, uh, I, I, I believe in the direction that him and Sasha and, and a lot of the, that the, the, the path they're, they're putting, um, into motion here, the plan they're putting into motion. And, uh, I, I mean, I, it's a, from a media perspective, it's a different world this year. Yeah. That won't, I don't think that'll be the only time that he, you know, he comes on this year or maybe other guys in the front office too. So well, I hope that doesn't make people too disappointed when they see Dane and Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that's not good. just, we kidding. can't, I can't, we can't talk about, uh, <laughs> the, the the opening of this podcast would not have been the same where we're speculating on social media beef. Yeah, was, yeah, that's, if that's it was true. Person, that's for sure. Uh, that's Charlie Johnson. He's at C. John's MBA um, on Twitter. I am Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. You can follow our stuff at zonecoverage.com, zonecoverage.mn. Um, like I said, I'm going to have something up on Noah Vonley here when I have time to write it. And uh, Charlie's working on a Trevion Graham slash Jake Layman piece. Because we are MBA hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> and those two have been solved. They have been. They've all been they've all been solved. Uh, okay, until next time, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.